Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to listen to this message. To get more connected with us, you can look us up on all social media at CLC Victoria and download our app. Now, here's this week's message. So let's go to the Word of God. And so we're going to be talking about um, a pretty common story uh, from the Bible. Um, It takes place in John chapter 4. And we're going to be talking about the woman at the well. Um, the Samaritan woman um, that Jesus met. And so we're, we're kicking off tonight in John chapter 4, verse 1 through 19. And it reads this. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sikar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there also, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. His, his disciples went on a Chick-fil-A run. Amen. I'm a firm believer in thinking that there is Chick-fil-A in heaven, all right? I've been praying for that and believing that because I think all good things are in heaven, and we know Chick-fil-A is a good thing. I'm telling you, when God said, let his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that's Chick-fil-A, all right? When you step into Chick-fil-A, that's a little bit of heaven. Let me go on that rabbit trail. But anyways, verse 9, it says, the woman was surprised. For Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Aren't you glad that Jesus isn't scared by who you are or what you've done? It doesn't matter, right? Jesus ain't scared from that, amen? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Uh, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. You know, she's excited now once he, once he told her that. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. In verse 16, Jesus said something out left field. He said, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. I always, I always laugh at that verse because, you know, she's just having a conversation and Jesus, like, calls out her dirty laundry. She's like, okay, you know what? You're a prophet, sir, you know. And uh, so turn to your neighbor and tell him the title for tonight's message, which is Undercover But Overwhelmed. Undercover But Overwhelmed. Let's pray. God, I thank you for giving us the opportunity to gather under your name in the house of God to come closer to you, Father. I thank you for open minds and soft hearts to be able to come to the realization of your love and of your grace, Father. We do not take this 
uh, chance lightly to get to know you more. We love you, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and everybody said. So before we get started, I have a quick story, and I know it's probably common for seven and eight-year-olds to do this, but when, when I grew up, uh, you know, uh, my parents were always telling me, right, clean your room before you can go out and have fun, right? Before I could go outside or hang out with friends, my room had to be clean. Was, was anybody else the same like that, right? They're always, my room always had to be clean before I could do stuff. Well, being the smart seven, eight-year-old I was, I, I, I was, I was really good at doing this art of hiding my mess, right? Hiding my dirty clothes and hiding my, my trash. I became really good at that. Got to the point, right? Like, and I wasn't doing the simple kind of just throwing it under your bed and putting it in your closet kind of, because that, that's amateur, right? I, was, I told you, I'm, I was getting good at this. Because, you know, if I did that, my mom would just open up the closet and stuff would, like, fall on her, you know, or she, you know. But I, I was starting to learn is, is you know, um, maybe I hide in my closet, but I'll hide it behind the clothes that are hanging up. That way, when she opens it, it still looks clean. She thinks, you know, my room is clean. I haven't told my mom this, by the way. Sorry, mama. And, and then, like, in, in the drawers, you know, um, instead of, like, just stuffing them in my drawers and she would open them and say, hey, no, you got to fold those, I would fold the top two layers, right? I would fold the top two layers, and so even when she opens it, she thinks it's folded, and then she look, and there's another fold, and she thinks it's well, but all underneath that was all crumpled shirts, right? I was starting to become really good at this hiding my mess kind of thing, hiding my dirty clothes, and everything was going great until my mom's friend used to come over, and this friend was a family friend. I've known her forever, but she used to, like, or what her occupation was, she would clean homes, and, like, professionally, right? And so, like, uh, she was, like, the white glove kind of person. Like, if it's clean, it's clean. Like, there either is perfection or nothing else. Like, that was her kind of thing. And so whenever she would come over, she would send her to check my room. At first, I was, like, no big deal. But this woman, like I said, she would come and open up the closet. I'm, like, oh, everything's good. You see everything's folded? And she took a peek behind the clothes. And you see, like, this mountain of stuff there. I was, like, oh, my gosh. And then she would look, and she opened the drawer my clothes was, and it looked folded on top, but she would look under the second layer and see that it was this crumpled up shirts under there. And I soon realized, right, that I couldn't get my mess past this woman because she was looking everywhere. And when I was reading um, the story we just read, it reminded me of that story because she was doing the same thing, right? It was a Samaritan woman who's been through five divorces, right? Back in those times, if you divorced once, it was shameful. Like, if you, if you even divorced once, people looked down on you. She didn't get divorced one time, not two times, not three, not four, five times. And not only that, the guy that she was living with wasn't even her husband. If you want to talk about shameful living at the time, the Samaritan woman was it. But even though she had all this shame and she was scared, she was still trying to avoid it. You see, in verse... Let me get the verse. In verse 6, it says that she went to the well, right? When she went to get water from the well, she got it at high noon when the sun was at its hottest in the Middle East. Like, why would you do that? The Middle East is desert, right? It's super hot. Why are you going outside at that time? Because she knew that nobody else would be out there at that time, right? She knew nobody would be out there at the hottest and so she said, maybe if I can go out there where nobody else is, I can avoid them. So here's this woman who she's trying to avoid things, even though she's, she's messed up on the inside. 
And she's ashamed and she feels unwanted, yet she's still trying to hide things and avoid people. A lot of times we do the same thing, right? We're hurting on the inside, but we try to hide it. We're, we're ashamed of things, but we try to act like we're not. We, we have these problems, right, but, but we're trying to hide them. We, we, we do the same thing that this Samaritan woman was doing. Like we, we have these problems, but we try to act perfect. We've made these mistakes, but we try to mask them. Right, we, we walk around with a big smile on our face, even though we're suffering on the inside. Even though our soul is suffering on the inside, we think if we just have a smile, it'll just go away. But what we're going to learn tonight is the lesson the Samaritan woman learned. Because in reality, we think we have everything under cover, right? But when real, and really, we're overwhelmed by them. We think that they're hidden, but really they have been taking over our lives. But let me encourage you, church, there's no mistake big enough, no problem big enough, no addiction big enough to keep you away from the love of Jesus. So turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus isn't scared of your problems. I know we read... Uh, verse 7 through 9, but I want to take another peek at it because this is going to lead us to, to kind of our first point for tonight. And, and it says this, it says, uh, verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink, right? He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. Verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews f- refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? The Samaritan woman asks him a question here that most first-time Christians ask Jesus, right? Like, who are you, and what makes you different, right? See, she's uh, she's so used to feeling unwanted and ashamed, and she's so used to people avoiding her that she meets this guy, this Jew, who's not even supposed to associate with Samaritans, and he's talking to her, and, and so he... She looks at him and says, what makes you different? What make, makes Jesus different? Did you know, like, we're so accustomed to taking the path of least resistance? Like, it is in our DNA. It is, we subconsciously want to take the path that is most easiest, most comfortable. Like, whenever we come to a decision, we're saying, okay, which one it's easier, right? Which one can I know I can do with the less pain or, or the less effort or the less adversity, right? Naturally, subconsciously, if we just did whatever we felt like doing, it would always be doing the things that's easiest, most comfortable, right? Does anybody agree with me? But with Jesus, he did the complete opposite. You see, Jesus fought the flow of that, and that's my first point is fight the flow. Jesus fought the flow, and instead of choosing the direction that was comfortable, he always, no matter what, you can read his entire life. He always chose the direction of his calling. You see, the Jews and Samaritans couldn't stand each other. To kind of explain the reason behind that, we have to go on a quick history lesson. So about 800 years before this story, the Samaritans were taken over by this group of people called the Phoenicians. And when they were taken over by these Phoenicians who were ungodly pagan people, and they were taken over by them, they're under their control, they began to, the Phoenicians, the Samaritans began to marry each other and start families together, and to the point where 
uh, the Jews start accusing the Samaritans of not being purebreds, right, of being half-breeds and not being worthy of God. And it became this religious thing. And, of course, the Samaritans didn't like being called half-breeds and not fully God's people. So they began calling each other different names and the Jews and Samaritans. And, and this is where the rift started. And this was in over you know, a couple of hundred years, you know, there became to be more adversity between each other. To, it reached to the point where the Samaritans say, hey, you know what? You think I'm, I'm not worthy enough? Then I'm going to defile your, your temple. And they went to Jerusalem and they defiled the temple in Jeru- Jerusalem, which was a big no-no. And it says that they threw dead bodies and bones in the temple just to make the Jewish people mad. So the Jews retaliated and they burned down a Samaritan village. And so that was like at the peak of the disagreement. And in the, this is about 200 years after the Jews burned down the Samaritan village. And so emotions are still high, but they're kind of muffled. But there's kind of an agreement between them that I don't like you and you don't like me, so let's avoid each other. That was kind of the agreement the Jews and the Samaritans had. See, when Jesus was in Samaria and he met the woman at the well, it says that he was on his way to Galilee, right, from Jerusalem. And so the common route to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, which Jerusalem is in the, is in the south and Galilee is in the north, uh, the common route, because Samaria is right in the middle of them. And what the Jews would do to avoid Samaria is that they would go the longer route around Samaria to Galilee because they, did they didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritan people. And so it was common knowledge for Jews to avoid Samaria when they took that route to Galilee. But for some reason, Jesus went through Samaria. And not only was it dangerous because they didn't like each other, but it was common for any Jew who was caught alone in Samaria to get mugged and beat up because, once again, right, they don't like each other. But what I love about this story is that Jesus felt called to go to Samaria for some reason. And we know it was because the woman at the well, he was supposed to meet her. But he felt called. So instead of taking the route that was comfortable, that was avoiding Samaria, he said, you know what, I'm going to go right through it. So what's different about Jesus is that Jesus will fight the flow for you, right? This reminds me of when Jesus went in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He had, he had a choice, right? The weight of the world is on his back. He, he knew that he was about to be crucified in, in the next few days, and he had the choice to either avoid it or go towards his calling, and, and the Philistine or Philistines, the Pharisees, was on his way to capture him, to, to throw him into prison, and they had, had the help of the, of the Romans with them, and he, he knew that was coming, and yet he didn't run away. And when the Pharisees came to take him, right, Peter cut off the ear, and Jesus looked at him and was like, what are you doing, dude? Right, like, don't you know that if I wanted to avoid this, I could? If I wanted to avoid this and be comfortable, I could snap my fingers, and a thousand angels could destroy them all? But he says, I'm not doing it because I'm called to something. See, just like Jesus does, we have to fight the flow and not always go in a direction that is comfortable, but go in a direction of our calling. Because our calling will never take place in our comfort zone. So that's the first point for tonight is that we got to learn to fight the flow. And we got to learn to go in the direction that God is calling us in. Because I'm telling you, there's always going to be a choice. There's always going to be a fork in the road. And the, and the option and the decision is always going to be up to us. Are we either going to be comfortable or are we going to live called? So we got to learn to fight the flow. And that's the first point. And then we, then we end up in verse 15 through 16. Right? They just had this conversation. And now we're, 
we're in verse 15 through 16, and it reads this. It says, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, right? Jesus just got done telling the Samaritan woman, hey, if you drink from my water, you never be thirsty again. And then she said, okay, well, well, give me this water, so I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And then, verse 16, Jesus said something totally crazy and said, go and get your husband. Right? That's this out of left park, right? That's something that's like out of left field. That's something so random. Like they're talking about water, and in the next sentence, Jesus asking about her husband. It's, it's, it's something so crazy that I think it was intentional, right? Because I believe that God didn't do anything by chance or circumstance. He was intentional with every word he had. See, the Samaritan woman was thinking Jesus was talking about something physical, right, with, with the water, right? She thought, oh, Jesus is talking about, like, give the, he, Jesus must have some secret water that I get one drop and I'm never thirsty again. But he was talking about something deeper. And what he did in verse 16 is that Jesus acknowledged the problem and brought out what was in the dark into the light, right? Who knows that this Samaritan woman would have never brought up her husband or husband or past husbands had it not been for Jesus, right? Because as we were talking about this Samaritan woman, she's trying to avoid all this. She doesn't want to admit she has a problem. She doesn't want to admit that she's going through things. She, she just wants to get her water and get out. That's why she came to the well at high noon, right? Because she didn't want to talk to anybody. She wanted it to avoid everything. But Jesus, let me tell you something, he never wants to avoid the problems in your life. Because as we said before, Jesus isn't scared of your problems, she, she was trying to hide her problems. And the second point tonight is, although it is hidden, doesn't mean it's healed. Just because you hide something and act like it's not there doesn't mean it's healed. A lot of time we think that if we can hide it long enough, if we act like it's not there long enough, then maybe it will go away. But just because it's hidden doesn't mean it's healed. And Jesus wanted to save her from this promise that she had. That's why he called her out on it, because he wanted to bring out what was in the dark into the light. It's sometimes we think if we hide our problems to where nobody knows who or nobody who exists knows except for us and God, then maybe it, it's not a big deal. But what we try to hide, what we keep hidden, that's what eats away at our soul. That's what eats away at us is when only us know about what we're doing wrong and the problems we have. So I'm not telling you to bring your problems and tell people or bring your problems to people, but bring your problems to God. See, God came to this world not to, so we can live an average life, but live a life more abundantly. And we can't live that life more abundantly if we keep what's keeping us down to us. So although we think we can hide things, they will never be healed. But once it is revealed, then it can be healed. And you know why Jesus loves us like nobody else can or why Jesus knows us like nobody else does is because he sees what nobody else can see. That's why I put my confidence in God and not in people because he sees even the bad things and still chooses me. Right? Amen? That's why I'm done trying to hide what I've done or who I am from him because I know there's no use. He already knows. But what I keep hidden, God can't heal. So I know I got to bring everything. As soon as it comes to me, I give it to God because I know the sooner I give it to God, the sooner God can heal me from it. So that's the second point for tonight is that although you might be able to hide things, doesn't mean it's healed. Hidden, but not healed. And then that led me to the question, how can this woman 
who's gone through five divorces, right? You know, and she lives with a guy. She's in the middle of another toxic relationship, not realize she has a relationship problem. Like, how can you do that? How can you not realize there might be something wrong? How can you not realize that it might not be them, it might be you after your sixth, fifth husband, right? By my, by, you know, by my second or third mess up, I would say, hey, you know what? Maybe it's a me problem, not a them problem. But she's been doing this, making the same mistake over and over and over. I said, why, why is that? Why does she keep on making the same mistake? And that leads us to our third point for tonight, because what you mask, you maintain. A lot of us, we try to put mask over what we've done. We try to put mask over what, like who we are, or the problems we have, or addiction we have, and we try to act like, right, they're not there. Or, we're, or we know they're there, but we try to put that smile on our face, and we try to deny that we have that problem. We try to mask it. I believe that is what the Samaritan woman was doing. She was trying to put that mask on and saying, nope, everything's okay with me. Everything's okay here. I'm not wrong. I just met five dumb guys. You know, that's not on me. Right? She tried to mask it. But what she didn't realize is while she was masking those problems, she was maintaining those problems. While she was masking, while we mask those addictions, what we're doing is we're maintaining those addictions. Because a lot of times we try to mask problems to protect ourselves, right? We try, we try to say, hey, you know what? I know I'm dealing with stuff, but when I go out in public, I'm going to put this mask on to protect me. But we're not protecting ourselves. We're protecting our problems when we put on those masks. See, the best way to prolong an addiction, right, is to act like you don't have one. The best way to keep that problem in your life to, is to act like it doesn't exist. And so that what the Samaritan was, woman was doing, you know, you couldn't convince her that she had a relationship problem, right? She wouldn't admit it, right? And because she knew, she, she thought she was protecting herself. She kept on thinking, you know what, it's, it's not me. Maybe it'll finally work out. She was masking her problems. And the, and the, the favorite thing that enemy loves us to do is when we try to act like we have no problems and not acknowledge it. The enemy loves it when we do that, right? Because they know, he knows that if we don't acknowledge it, then we can't get rid of it. If we act like it doesn't exist, then God can't take care of it in our lives. So the enemy loves when we live behind a mask, not because he thinks it's funny or silly, but he knows that when you live behind a mask, right, you're maintaining those problems you have in your life. But what Jesus was doing when he met this woman at the well is that he was telling her to remove that mask because once we take off the mask, then we can move on. So that's the third point for tonight is what you mask, you maintain. And I'm almost done as I'm closing. Are y'all enjoying tonight? I know this is kind of quick message. And, and so... They have all this story and everything's going through. And, and after verse 19, you know, she's like, oh, you must be a prophet. You know, after that, then they go into this dialogue where she asks Jesus about worship. She tries to totally change the conversation from herself. If you read it, she, she totally tries to avoid talking about herself. And she talks about worship. They have this quick dialogue. But in, in, verse, 20, in verse 25, Jesus brings it back to her. And so we're going to pick up on John chapter 4 verse 25, as we continue this story together. And it reads this. It said, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. You see, they just got done kind of arguing over worship. She, she was arguing worship with the person who we worship. It, it was weird. It was a weird thing she was doing. And, and, so, and, it's just, and he says, and he comes, he will explain everything to us. 
then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And he, and he revealed who he was to her. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the, be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. You see, the Samaritan woman had gone through five divorces, right? We talked about that. And a sixth guy was, you know, she wasn't even married to the sixth guy. But everything changed when she met the seventh guy, right? And the number seven is an awesome number because it, it represents a number of completion. You see, this, this woman always felt unwanted and ashamed and unloved until she finally got to realization, until she finally met this guy named Jesus. Because let me tell you something tonight, church, that Jesus is enough. And this is what she realized when she had this conversation with him, is that he's the one who's going to leave me fulfilled. Not relationships, not people, not things. This man who I'm talking to. See, it doesn't matter how many relationships or friendships you have. If Jesus isn't that number one relationship, you'll always be in left field, unfulfilled, unloved, and unwanted. See, Jesus is enough to meet every need we have. And one of the best ways to, to see if are we hiding behind a mask or are we trying to hide things if, is if we know who Jesus is, we know what he's done for us, but yet we still don't think he's enough for us. See, when you're constantly trying to hide things and mask things, you're never willing to accept that Jesus is enough. You always want more. You always, you always say, God, God, I, I know you're, you love me. I know you, you love me, Jesus, but maybe you're not enough for me. But Jesus is enough. You have to get to the place where all you need is Jesus to be with you and nothing else. No relationship, nothing else. Will you stand up with me tonight, church? See, in verse 28, it says that she left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village. See, all this woman was trying to do that day was just to get some water. She was trying to get something so temporary and mundane, but she left with something that was eternal and changed her life. I think she had a choice when she was at that well. Said, you know what? And when she left that jar at that well, I think she had a choice because she just got done having this life-changing moment and said, you know what? I can either stay in this. I can, I can either stay in this mundane moment. I can either stay in this temporary mindset or I can accept something eternal that's happening on the inside of me. And she says that she left that well, that left that jar, her jar at the well and she ran to the village to tell people about Jesus. This was the same woman who 10 minutes earlier was trying everything in her power to avoid people. Now after a conversation with Jesus, she's trying everything in her power to talk to people about Jesus. I believe that it's because she accepted something that was eternal in her life. And before I hand this service off to Pastor Bobby, I want to welcome up the prayer partners because I want us to take the same opportunity and mindset that the Samaritan woman had. And that was to leave behind what she had, to leave behind the mask, to leave behind what she was trying to hide, to leave it all at Jesus so she could be free from the things that was holding her back. 
So let us pray tonight. God, I thank you, Father, that tonight on, we're no longer going to hide from you, hide things from you, hide insecurities from you, our problems from you. But we're going to let him into the light, God, because we trust you to love us even though we have problems, Father. So I thank you, Jesus, that we take off the mask and we are leaving them at the well, God. We take off our insecurities and we're leaving them at the well. We take off our unforgiveness, our problems, the things that are barriers between me and you, God. I want them to release them from my life, Father. So I thank you that starting from tonight on, God, that we are no longer going to hide from you. We're no longer going to keep things in the dark from you, Father. But we're going to totally trust you and give everything that we have on the inside to you, Father, the good and the bad. In the name of Jesus, Father, in the name of Jesus, amen. Our mission here at Covenant Life Center is to help our world live, give, and love like Jesus. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love for you to email us at info at clcvictoria.org. You can get connected with us through our social media, 